This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. This morning I'm going to talk about um, what I think of as the 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 internal um, involvement in Shingi. You know, in some ways, there's the do's and don'ts that we all agree to comply with and engage wholeheartedly. And then there's what goes on for us while we're doing that. You know, sitting in a circle last night, I, I was struck, you know, in, in, when, when you read the early suttas, um, and, and somewhat still in the Theravadan tradition you see this, the, the role of Sangha, even though there is hierarchy, you know, the teacher is the teacher, Sangha and the collective body and being and purposefulness of Sangha is, is held as a very significant and important contribution to what happens. In the Theravadan tradition, when someone comes to be ordained, they're ordained in the Sangha. In some ways, you know, there's a difference. In, in the Zen tradition, they get ordained by a person. And the Sangha bears witness. In the Theravadan tradition, you actually have to have a certain size of Sangha to engage this person, or the ordination isn't valid. So as we sat there in a circle, I was thinking, oh, how wonderful, as California Zen meets Japanese Zen, and we sit in a circle and bring in community and that quality of uh, of that we're all in this together, you know. In being in practice period together, each one of us, regardless of our rank, regardless of our role, is obliged to follow the Shinki. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, in the midst of that, there's also something extraordinarily tender that goes on. I remember several years ago, there was someone who was a dawn, and he was really struggling with uh, being a dawn, as most people do. Uh, it's very interesting, you know. Almost everybody struggles with being a dawn, and then they go away during interim, and then they come back, and the email <laughs> says, "Oh well, before we train the new dawn, get the new dawns trained. Could you fill in as Kokyo?" Or, and, and then, they're just terrific at it. <laughs> that peculiar part of our uh, human workings, you know. 
when we're earnestly and dedicatedly and committedly trying to do our best, it's almost like we're also getting in our own way. And then you go away and forget it and do something entirely different, and then you come back and uh, it's in your body. What a surprise. Sure, no problem. But in that learning process, For most people, it's like exposing every part of you to the Sangha. If you miss a bell, hit it too loud, hit it too soft, everybody gets it, everybody knows. If your cochlear voice is thin and crackly, the assembly hears it. And then in some way, how terrific, how terrific that there is the support to be exactly where you are, exactly who you are, and to make your complete effort. So this person was in the throes of that wonderful activity, and um, And with few exceptions, they were actually a very good kokyo, but pretty much everything else mm, left something <laughs> to be uh, still discovered. And then one day, <laughs> and then one day in the middle of the practice period, they made an announcement at work meeting. And they said, um, I know I'm not a very good doer. I get it. I, I'm aware of my mistakes and that I just uh, don't seem to uh, have what it takes to be proficient. Uh, I want you to know I'm doing my best. And even though the product is not so good, that I will continue to do my best. And they said it in such a heartfelt way, you know, that even now I kind of feel something. The tenderness I think we all felt when we heard this person say it. That in that moment, he was supporting all of our practice. He was demonstrating in a totally open and committed way what practice is about. You know, reminding us all, yes, we create all these do's and don'ts, and then we can infer within them some success or lack of success, you know, what it is to do them right, what it is to get them wrong. Um, and that has its place, but it's not the fundamental point. 
the fundamental point is wholehearted engagement. The fundamental point is, though only a mosquito biting on an iron bow, I will take my Dharma seat. Though my mistakes fill heaven and earth, I will continue. And how that sentiment, that resolve, that vow is contagious. We feel it. We feel it from each other. We watch each other, often in small ways. You just watch how someone places a cup or takes the time to clear someone else's dishes. Yeah. And sitting in the circle, you know, we, we're holding that collective intimacy, that way in which um, each one of us practices for the whole Sangha. And the whole Sangha benefits from our practice. And yet, to refer back to being a dawn, in the process, a whole variety of experiences and responses come up for us. (coughs) We do have a fixed notion as to what it is to do it right and what it is to do it wrong. And then, of course, we have to deal with the Eno, who, of course, uh, is doing their best to be skillful, encouraging, patient, instructive. But still, most of us will give them the gift of all the transferences we have around authority figures. project onto the Purino things they can't even imagine. (laughs) And we'll hold within our own self-image all sorts of notions. And then we'll go away during interim, breathe a sigh of relief, do something entirely different, and come back and discover Sometimes to our own amazement. I can do this. Yeah. And it brings up such wonderful questions. Is it possible for us 
to be conscious of this process as we're in the midst of it? Or are we inevitably foolish? No. Inevitably caught up in the intrigues that we co-create. We project onto the eno, and that stimulates the eno to behave a certain way. And when we're caught in our own psychology, it confirms the accuracy of our projection. Ah, just as I thought. He really doesn't like me. Can we be conscious of all that? I would say yes and no. All of it, can we be conscious of all of it? In certain moments, yeah. But I would also say then there's other moments where we're just fooled by it. And the marvelous thing about the structure of the Shingi is that it holds us. The bell is not sounding a certain way because it doesn't like you. <laughs> because it doesn't want to be your friend. You know? It's just the way the bell sounds when you hold a striker like that. Strike it on that place with that amount of force. Stopping outside the bathhouse to chant the gata is not meant to prevent you from having the shower you want to take in the ten minutes before the dental starts. It wasn't put there to cause you a problem. And the role of inner shingi is to help us in the midst of being human, in the midst of being the conditioned person that we are, in the midst of taking on the attributes of the role we've been asked to take on, to see what comes up, to feel it, to experience it. and to let it teach. And, and part of our tradition, part of the Shingi, is that we renew our vow. We renew our vow each morning before we chant the suttas. We renew our vow each evening before we go to bed.
that, that within this uh, extraordinary constructed situation called Zen training, within this body and mind and heart, with its extraordinary complexities, there can be a resolve to just keep practicing with it as it arises. And as some of you who've had the misfortune to practice with me before know that I will say things like, experience the experience you're experiencing. <laughs> experience the experience you're experiencing. And how mysteriously difficult that is. But this resolve, this beautiful human capacity to let something in us touch its sincerity. To touch it, to feel it, to taste it. This is the heart, the tendon, the skin, bone, flesh, and marrow of our practice. So as we start on this three-month journey together, to reflect on that resolve. To reflect on the person you are. The role you're undertaking now. Maybe already you have some attitudes, expectations projections. Some excitement or some dread. And this funny proposition, give yourself completely to it. How the heck do you give yourself completely to being bathroom attendant. I don't know. I've never been bathroom attendant. <laughs> but I hope those who are will discover it. Huh? I hope they will discover how the sun moves through the bathhouse as it goes from east to west, as it, as it rises as the seasons progress, 
each thing has its own intimacies. In meeting them, letting them draw us in, letting them become um, a palpable moment. I have a good friend uh, and mentor, Brother David Standelrest, and his primary teaching is gratitude. And in my own cynical way, I've thought, yeah, nice work if you can get it, but a whole lot more than gratitude goes on for me. And as far as I can tell, for most other people too. And then in the fall, I was in India, and I was reading the teachings of uh, a guru who's the former teacher of Shindo Gayatri, who will be here someday soon. She's had problems with her uh, passport. And guess what? There he was, saying the same thing appreciation and gratitude. Interesting con, isn't it? To think, hmm, I'm more of an expert on uh, discontent, imperfections. What is this teaching of gratitude or appreciation? I suspect it's not noticing not allowing uh, the moments of tenderness, the moments of connection, whether it's ourself and the steam rising of the water in the hot tub, or whether it's the feeling of deep affection when someone like that dawn opens their heart and unashamedly accepts who they are and offers it up to everyone. And in a way, this is an ingredient of awareness that can be available to us. You know, we can think of awareness as a dutiful activity where we're doing the right thing. Uh, 
I think that has its place. But we can also think of awareness as an act of appreciation. The taste, the hot cereal. To notice the redness of those clumps of berries so sort of incongruously hanging there on that bush. And to turn it inwards too. How amazing that each one of us, of all the things we could be doing other than being here, this is where we are. This is something in us has committed to this as the most important thing. So this quality of um, stepping beyond right and wrong, stepping beyond success and failure, turning towards engaging with the benevolence. This, these aspects of inner shingi um, support our resolve not to simply become a sort of thin and dutiful, you know, but they help to give it an inclination towards a spaciousness and a patience. And I would say a resilience. Lots of things are going to come up for you in the course of this practice period. And in a way, the challenge is formidable. It's not simply to just get through it. I mean, of course, that's uh, certainly preferable to not getting through it. (laughs) But in the process, to be aware when you're aware. To be aware and to let the moment to your arising be engaged as a teaching. To let it spark an investigation. What's happening now?
our human mind is so easily and readily fooled by what should be happening. Or, this is not so interesting, I'm going to think about that. To stay in the territory of now and let that open and include. patience, the acceptance, the resilience, and I would add an appreciative benevolence we have crafted together our own uh, psychological makeup together with all the things that influenced us and shaped us in our development. You know, in pediatric uh, psychology, uh, there's a phrase called uh, good enough. The notion is that the parents just need to be good enough. In fact, in its own way, that's ideal. If the parents were perfect, the children wouldn't have to develop the capacity to meet the imperfections of life, the disappointments, the challenges. Maybe we can think of our own awareness to be good enough. If you were the perfect dawn, never made a single mistake. First time that Eno showed you something, you did it perfectly. Would you have the teaching that that person had? Would you have the encouragement to have such patience? To let go of accomplishment? <coughs> so through our inner Shingi, we, we set up Hopefully, we set up an internal environment. You know, the external environment of Shingi is that which is conducive to practice. And that's what these these, uh, details of the structure is about. And to create the internal correlate that which is conducive to practice. To attend to yourself. In a way that sustains your resolve. To attend to your engagement in a way 
that offers encouragement rather than discouragement, that offers a steadiness of commitment rather than uh, getting spaced out or falling into um, a kind of resentful disenchantment. And of course, included in that is when you do fall into being spaced out or disenchanted, that you open to that too. You experience that experience. So this kind of result. Dogen Zenji said, nobody can force it on you in Bendawa. Nobody can force it on you and you can't force it on yourself. You know, one of the steps of the Eightfold Path is right speech. And we can think of right speech not only as how we speak to others, but we can also think of right speech as how we speak to ourselves. You know? Can you speak to yourself skillfully? Can you attend to the thoughts and feelings and judgments you have about yourself. If you look at it psychologically, you know, when we create, when we live within a hostile environment, when we create within ourselves a hostile environment, um, our defensiveness is stimulated. How wonderful that the environment was such that that person could stand up and make that heartfelt disclosure at work meeting about their inadequacies or what they perceived as their inadequacies as a dog. May we be that for each other. And may we be that for ourselves. May we be able to distinguish between a generous benevolence towards our own being and um, avoidance, denial, um, or, or some other mechanism for not meeting what's arising. Psychologically, um, sometimes when there's trust, something in us opens like a surprise. There's some way we're holding back that we didn't even know we were holding back. 
And in some ways, this is the great gift of the forms. You, know? you give yourself to the forms of the Zendo, and you learn something about giving yourself to the inner world too. Of bringing that same full attention to what you're feeling. Here's a poem. We look with uncertainty beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers to a softer, more permeable aliveness, which in every moment is at the brink of death. For something new is being born in us, if we let it. We stand at a new doorway, awaiting that which comes, daring to be human creatures, vulnerable to the beauty of existence, learning to love. And Hildman. And how would you say it? What words, what images, what feelings? The inner alchemy of resolve. And so when we go through our formal um, avowals, I now fully avow. When we take refuge, can the formal expression resonate with what's intimate in your heart? Can it be a nourishment? Can it be an encouragement? Can it be a reminder? Oh yeah. It cultivates within us the trust. Daring to be human creatures. And in the great mystery of practice, it cultivates within us a realization of Buddha nature. Cultivates within us this appreciation that turns towards the moment and opens like a flower to the sun. No one can force it on you and you can't force it on yourself. But when it blossoms, ah, the beauty, the fragrance.
So that's the words I give it. Um, I would ask you, what words do you give it? Uh, or images, or feelings. And let them be your companion. Let them be your guide. Let them be your teacher. We look with uncertainty beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers. Hmm. To a softer, more permeable aliveness, which is every moment, is at the brink of death. For something new is being born in us, if we will but let it. We stand at a new doorway, awaiting that which comes, daring to be human creatures, vulnerable to the beauty of existence, uh, learning to love. <laughs>